Today we're in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 25. As you remember last week, we looked at verses 1 through 12, and when we looked at those, we realized in some, maybe some controversial issues a little bit, but I, I think I laid it out there, and of course, if you're like, man, I need to go back and rehear what he said because I didn't agree what he said, by the way, my dad said, I listened to the podcast from this past week, and I'm telling you this story because it's a high moment in my life. I listened to your podcast from last week, and... Um, I don't agree with something that you said. And I was like, uh-oh, crap. He was like, I'm pretty sure in Genesis it says that humans were made a little higher than angels, and angels were made a little lower than humans. And I was like, I don't think so. We looked it up. Who was right? <laughs> I am 24. That is time number four in my life. I have proven him wrong. I keep a running count. <laughs> but in case you wanted to go back and listen, it's up there. It's on our Facebook page. If you Google, we looked it up last night. Uh, if you Google, what is it, First Baptist Church New Milford podcast? If you Google FBC New Milford and podcast, it's your first option. Click on that. You can listen to me preach while you're going to work in the morning. Don't do that. You might fall asleep. Who knows? Um, but it, 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 those are up there. And so if you remember last week, we talked about this idea of, of predestination and, and, a, and a internal security and that Peter kind of lays it out. And whether we like them or not, I don't know why you wouldn't like eternal security. That seems like a great thing to me. Peter lays it out and he puts it out there. And so now this week, this week we're going to look at, because of all of that, because of your eternal security, because your salvation is assured, what should you do? How should you act? And I'll tell you right off the jump, the second half of verse 17 is kind of the crux of this whole thing. But let's read verses 13 through 25 and dive into it. First Peter 1, verses 13 through 25. It reads, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22 now. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. And grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. All right, let's dive into this. First off, number one, number one, therefore. Always ask yourself, <laughs> always ask yourself, if there's a therefore, what's it there for? So let's figure out what it's there for. So again, he says, therefore, because of your sure salvation, 
do these things. There's a few imperatives. Do these things. Prepare your minds. We spent a whole message talking about preparing your minds. We spent a couple messages talking about preparing your minds. Peter says it again here. You see, the war is fought in your mind. If you win the war in your mind, you will most of the time win the battle on your hands. You will win the battle of your actions if you win the war in your mind. So Peter says, first off, because of your sure salvation, because of what Christ did for you, because he's holding your, your salvation, you're not holding it, he is. First off, prepare your minds. Keep it prepared. You can't think to yourself, I'm just going to be able to get up in the morning and face the darts of the evil one. It's not going to work well. You've got to prepare yourself. And then keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You fix your hope on God. We live in a world that is, to be honest, hopeless. It's hopeless. Look around the world at you. Things like suicide are through the roof from what they were even 10 years ago. I talk to people almost every day, and you can see it in their eyes. They don't have hope. You do. You have hope because God is the one that's holding your salvation. It's not you holding it. If you were holding on to it, you wouldn't have any hope. He's the one that's holding on to it, though. He's the one that's guarding it and protecting it. So you have hope. Fix your hope on him. Fix your hope on that. And don't just fix your hope on that. Share that hope with other people. You've been placed in a world to do that. So do it. Sometimes it's through our actions. Sometimes it's through our words. Sometimes it's just the fact that you smile through a really hard day. I talk to people at times, and, you know, one of the things that I am, I'm a, I'm a high tipper. I always tip really high when I go out to eat. Most people are like, well, 20 25%, that should be good. That's my minimum most of the time. It's just what I am. I have a sister who's a server. I hear enough of the horror stories that I go, I'm going to do it. But also, you never know what day somebody is having. Maybe your poor server just dropped an entire massive tray of food in the back and is having the worst day of her life, and she comes out and she's just flustered. It happens. Give her hope. Be kind to her. Be kind to him. Whatever it is, give hope in this world because it is hopeless, but you have a hope that is fixed on God. Number two, obedient children. I promised you we were going to talk about that when I talked about it with, uh, with communion. Let's read this uh, in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, just in case you wanted to know. That section, be holy for I am holy, is from Leviticus 11.44. I looked it up so that you don't have to. I'm such a nice pastor. No, but it's from Leviticus 44, but the, the concept remains the same. Be holy because I am holy. Maybe one day we'll preach a whole message, a whole series on the incommunicable and the communicable attributes of God. You can tell I went to Bible college. I know big words. Here's what it means. Incommunicable means they're attributes of God which you do not and can never have. You will never be all-knowing. You will never be everywhere at once. And you will never be all-powerful. Those are three things, and there's more, but those are three things that God is alone. And then there are the communicable attributes, which means they are attributes that you can be as well. Holy, righteous, loving, merciful, gracious, all those things. You may not be able to be them to the degree that God is, but you can be them. And so God says, be holy 
for I am holy. You don't get a choice. Now, here's the thing. I love this at the beginning of it in verse 14. He says, as obedient children. Most of you in this room are either currently parents or have been parents or at least raised somebody in some way, shape, or form. Kids follow our example. You never have to wonder, where did my kid learn that word? You. Where did my kid learn to act like that? You. Where did my kid learn to be angry all the time? You. It works the other way as well. Man, my kid just loves to give. Where did he learn that? You, because you set that example. Man, my kid is so great. He or she, they just want to worship God. Where did they learn that? They watched you. It works both ways. And what Peter is saying here, as an obedient children, look towards your father to learn how you should act. Don't be conformed to the former lusts, which was yours, which were yours in your ignorance, but be holy because God is holy. We have the ultimate example to look to for how we should act. And in case you're just like, man, but that's God, fine, look to Jesus. He was God. He was also man. Makes it maybe a little bit easier. I always think about, you know, what poor James had to go through. James got blamed for everything because it wasn't Jesus that did it. He had the right, the perfect example to look up to. Think about that for a second. Side note, real quick. Think about that for a second. James, if you Nathan, if I was all like, you know what? I'm the son of God. Well, there's that, but, but, but like, can you think about believing that? About honestly believing that? And yet here's James who one day believes that wholeheartedly enough to write a letter and to work towards that end that we're all still working towards. I think that's so cool that he had to come to grips with that. And I think that's way harder than we give it credit for. Just a side note that I like to think about. But as obedient children, follow God's example. Be holy, for he is holy. Be set apart in a world that is hopeless. In a world, here's the thing, let me tell you this. In a world that says it is okay to kill millions of babies a year before they're born, be set apart from that. In a world that says love who you love, it's okay, be set apart from that. Say, no, 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 the Bible says to love everybody, but not in the way you're saying it. You're saying, let a man love a man and a woman love a woman, and God's saying, no, you love them, but not like that. In a world that screams at the fa- in the face of everything God says, be set apart from that. That's what being holy means. Be above it. It's hard. I can't, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I can't even count the number of times somebody, I've had a conversation with somebody, and they've gone, well, that just doesn't make sense in today's world. And I said, you're right, it doesn't. But you know what, Jesus really didn't make sense in his world 2,000 years ago, and he's not asking me to make sense in my world. He's asking me to be set apart, just as he's asking you. As obedient children, be set apart. Number three, bought with precious blood, bought with precious blood. I mentioned that verse 17 is kind of the, the second half of verse 17 is kind of the crux of the whole thing. So let's read verse 17 here real quick. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. First, if you are thinking to yourself, well, I'm a Christian, I'm not going to be judged. Get your acting gear. You're going to be. It's called the Bema Seat. And I actually just learned this yesterday. It's called the Bema Seat 
because at the judgment, when a, ju- a judge's seat back then, the bema seat is where judgment was handed down. And so that's why we call it the bema seat, because that's where your judgment is handed down. Now, yes, we talked about it last week. Your salvation is secured. You will not be judged on whether or not you get into heaven. Your actions will be judged impartially, though. And if you read in 2 Corinthians 5, we look at that, and it talks about you know, the, 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 the gold, silver, and precious stones, and then the wood, hay, and straw. It's judged with fire. Those first three things survive the flame with varying degrees of success. Gold, the best, silver, the second best, precious stones, the third. The bottom three, wood, hay, and straw, do not survive the fire. Depending on how hot it is, wood, you might get those little like charred pieces. Wood and hay, or a hay and straw, is completely gone. It's burned away. And your actions will be judged. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does, because it kind of scares me. Because it's an impartial judge. I can't buy off this judge. He's going to judge every single thing I have done and every single thing I have said. And I'm kind of scared to know even in the past 24 years that I've lived, what I've done and said that's going to get burned away. And in the next, if God allows me to live 60, 80 years plus, who knows what I'm going to do in those years that's going to get burned away. And am I really going to have anything that stands? I think I will. But man, that's kind of scary. And as such, the second half of verse 17, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. There you go. Peter basically says, listen, you're going to get judged, so conduct yourselves with fear. There are things that I have done in my life that my dad doesn't know about. Never done anything bad. Never done anything that I should have gone to prison for. But... There are some stories that when I was 15, 16 years old, did not make it home. And I'm sure you have those stories as well. But I tell you why, because I knew, or at least I had a strong inkling, that my dad wouldn't be able to find out about that story. If he had been there, you better believe I never would have done it, because I had fear about it. Because even though my dad is not God, he was kind of the God in my life when I was a kid in that way, right? The disciplinarian. And so there are certain things, there are so many times, like I can't count the number of times that some of my friends were like, yo, let's sneak out and do this. And I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. They're like, what, are your parents going to find out? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, they run this town. They're all over the place. Can't, the amount of times I would get in trouble in school, I only got in trouble a few times, but each time I'd come home and he would say this line, so, how was school today? And little old me, I learned by the end of it, but at the beginning, I was like, oh, good, he doesn't know. I can play this off, and we'll be fine. Oh, no, he knew, because he went to school with half of my teachers. But it's that same idea, right? I could get away with certain things because he wasn't there. You can't get away with things because God is always there. Every moment of your life, he sees it, and it will be judged. That should scare you. It scares me. Now, I know my salvation secured, as we said. I've talked about this. I actually talked about this with my dad just a few days ago. It talks about that God's going to wipe away every tear. I believe, and so does he, that it is at the Bema seat God will wipe away every tear. Not later, not before, at the Bema seat when we see everything that we did. And I kind of think everything we could have done. And we realize just how hard we ended up failing. But all of it will be wiped away because when we get to heaven, it won't matter anymore. But it will be wiped away then, but you're going to have to experience that. 
So conduct yourselves with fear. And then Peter gives reason in verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. That's the second time in the first chapter of his letter he mentions perishable items in silver and gold. Again, we talked about it last week. I'll just remind you because those were the, the highest thing back then. What culture put the most, call it monetary, it wasn't really money, but monetary value on silver and gold. You weren't bought with something that's perishable, but something that was imperishable. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. We just worshipped him this morning. We just had communion this morning to remember that precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were bought with the highest price ever. The most valuable substance in the history of mankind. It was used for you. Let me tell you something else that I firmly believe. We know, right, that his one death, burial, and resurrection covered everybody. I firmly believe that if it had taken him to die for each, one time each, for each of us, he would have done it. He would have gone back through it again for me and you. Millions upon millions, billions of people, he would have died because he loved us enough to do it in that precious blood. Think about that for a second. That precious blood of Jesus. And then lastly, born of the word. Born of the word. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. In the next two verses, verses 24 and 25, that comes from Isaiah 4 through uh, 4, 40. Isaiah 46 through 8. Peter kind of condenses it down into a verse and a half. It's a bit longer there, but it says the same thing. Grass, flowers, they wither away and die, but the word of God endures forever. Let me tell you this right now, church. For thousands of years, countries, civilizations, tyrants, evil men and women, Satan himself have desperately attempted to get this book out of, harm, out of the way. Not out of harm's way, out of the way. And yet somehow, some way, here it still sits. The best-selling book of all time, Working in countries like China, which it's supposed to be closed to. Working in countries like the Middle East, where there are militant people that will kill you for believing it, yet it's still moving. Because the same person, God, who protects your salvation is the same one that's protecting this book. Those are the words of God. It's not, it's not something that man wrote. Yes, men had the pen in their hands, but they're the words of God that God said to put this down inspired by God. You don't have to wonder what his voice sounds like. It's right here. You don't have to wonder, and it's going to endure forever. Part of me kind of thinks that when we get to heaven in the throne room of God, you know how like in a lot of those old-time churches, they have the massive gold Bibles that just sit up there? There's going to be just a huge one in heaven just sitting there. Who knows what passage it'll be open to? Maybe in Revelation where you have the four living creatures uh, singing holy, 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 to the Lord. Maybe there. I don't know. When I see those Bibles, I've got to be honest, I usually flip them to, I think it's Psalm 127. It's the scripture passage that talks about dashing children's heads against rocks. Because I like to see how long it takes somebody to notice. I was on Rise, and we went to the same church two years in a row. I changed it the first year. It was still there the second year. Nobody had touched it in a year. Touch your Bibles, people. Even the big ones. But this word endures forever. It's not going anywhere. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. Now, you can leave it dormant on your shelf, 
but its words are still there. Its truth is still there. And I'm here to tell you, it's still moving in places. I mentioned this months ago. Isn't it ironic that the places that fight so hard to keep God out are the places where he's spreading like wildfire? Do I like it that in schools today and stuff like that, kids get ridiculed for reading the word of God? No, I don't like it. Do I like it that in our country, we have, to be frank, immoral leaders in a lot of places? No, I don't like it. And I'll tell you, it doesn't scare me, though. Because first off, I'm not from here anymore. My citizenship is in heaven. But secondly, because I know as long as they try to get this book out, as long as they try to knock God out of this place, he'll still be around. They'll die. Every fascist leader that tried to get rid of a Bible has passed away. Bible's still here. Every civilization that has tried to destroy God and keep him out, well, they're still there, and a lot of them aren't. You don't have to worry about it. Your salvation is sure. It's guarded and protected by the one whom nothing can get through. We read that last week. So what are you supposed to do? Verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear. Act accordingly. That's what you're supposed to do. You see, your salvation right is not dependent upon your actions, but you should act the right way anyway, because you're going to be judged, and let alone because God loves you enough to die for you. The least you could do is act like it. We're going to dive into more next week, but that's your takeaway. Conduct yourselves with fear. It's okay to be afraid of God in a respectful way, kind of how you fear your parents. That's good. The Bible never says, don't be afraid of certain things. In fact, it says, fear the man, not the man, the one who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. That's God. That's the one you're supposed to be afraid of. Don't fear anything else. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear Satan. You don't have to fear somebody else. Fear God and act accordingly. Act like he's always watching because he is you pray with me. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would help us to act accordingly. Help us to know that holy, reverent fear of you. Not a fear that makes us cower, but a fear that drives us to do the right thing. A fear that drives us to be your children and spread your good news, your word here in our time, in our place. Father, we praise you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.